Well, good morning, everybody. You know, this morning, I want to take you, I guess, on a little bit of a journey. I want to start by building in some imagery for you. And I want you to think about that. And then I'm going to do a little teaching, and then I'm going to tell a story, and then I'm going to try to wrap it all together. But some of the imagery I want to get, you know, it's Christmas time, and increasingly so, it seems, at St. Mark. It's, a, it's an exciting, it's a pretty special time at St. Mark, and really churches all across the, the nation. But, I mean, I, I love the, the music. If any of you are here on um, Thanksgiving Eve and heard the violin as part of the worship team, that was awesome. I love the I'll Be Home for Christmas rendition they just did. I mean, they've just been doing some cool stuff. I love the lights and the wreaths. You can see it better at night. You know, I, I love the, the decorations in the courtyard. I, I love the things that they have for the kids. In fact, my kids get geeked out every year about this, this gingerbread house thing that they're going to do tonight. And, um, and they're getting older and older, and they still love it. And they still invite friends to it. it it's, just, it's increasingly becoming just a, a part of our family's experience and something that we enjoy. But one of the, I think one of the great symbols of Christmas um, that you hear over and over, especially on TV and different things, one of the symbols that I think captures um, the event, the specialness of it all in a neat way, is the symbol of home, right? I'll be home for Christmas, home for the holidays, all those things you keep hearing. And I guess that's why everybody, it seems, puts so much effort, so much expense, so much hassle in trying to get home Christmas. But I started wondering, do you ever wonder why that is? I mean, why is it that everybody tries to get home? Why is that such a big thing? Why is that on people's bucket list as they go through the year? I mean, what's so special about home and Christmas? And I think the answer to that is when it's working right, and and I'll just say for granted that a lot of people did not grow up in a home where it was working right. But when it is, it's a place that I think gives a place of warmth a place of security, a place of comfort, a place of acceptance and understanding and empathy. It's a place of laughter and nurturing and forgiveness and, and healing. It's a place of growth and encouragement and hope and love. And so home, wherever it is, it seems that's where you want to be all the time, but maybe especially at Christmas. And I believe that those same words can be used to describe the relationship that we have with God. And we have with Jesus Christ. In fact, in Psalm 90, Moses shares this prayer. And Moses uses the same imagery of home when he's talking with God. The psalm begins with these words, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. In other words, you have been the place where we found security and comfort and love and acceptance and salvation. You, Moses, are, is saying, you are where we belong. And if you're a Christian, you know that's true. And it adds to the specialness of the season because you get the real reason for the season. It was true in Israel, too, as they were looking back, looking forward to going back home to Israel, right? Both the first time when they were in Egypt and then the second time when they were exiled in Babylon. It's our longing, too, as we look toward going home to heaven when there's no more pain and no more sorrow. And and there's something about home that I think beautifully describes our experience with Jesus. One of the coolest aspects for me in worship is going to the altar where the communion is, where his supper is, and hearing the words that I'm forgiven again. He promises to be present there as we come forward, right? It's like getting a big hug from Jesus. I love that imagery, right? But one of the verbiages that I say as I'm imagining that hug around me is, I've got you, Mike. I've got you. 
As you're going through this life, as you're going through their difficulties, as you're going through struggles, I've got you. You're not alone. This is a place you know you can always come and be found by me. This is a place where I remind you that I've got you as you're walking through life. I I love the imagery of home. But I also want to build on that just a little bit of teaching. Because I think so often we stop, we stop with this whole idea of home. And we just stopped there. I'll give you an example. I was, uh, back when I was doing youth ministry, we went to a a retreat and they had this really cool ropes course. And it was just like this tower that must have been three stories high and it had all these ropes. And and the whole idea was to go to the top, right? Except in this one little exercise they had us doing, you had to go up with another person. And the idea was to both get to the top as quickly as possible. A little bit afraid of heights. So... I went, so it was our turn, and I got up, and I had one of the, 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 the youth with me, and, and, and I, I went up as fast as I could. And, and, and in fact, the guy said I might have broken a record, camp record, for how fast I got to the top. But he goes, that wasn't the exercise. Because when I got to the top, I looked back down, and the kid was only a quarter of the way up and scared out of his mind. I hadn't cared at all about this kid. I was supposed to get to the top of the tower. I just had cared about myself. I let fear dictate stuff. I let, uh, you know, all this other stuff kind of preoccupy my mind, and I forgot about the kid. And so I did one of the scariest things I've ever done is I got back onto that rope course from that tower, which is not the way you were supposed to go. And I started working my way back down to the kid and spent a forever trying to get him back up. See, I think we're great when it comes to wanting that experience with God, that reminder that we're forgiven, that we're his, that he's got us, that, that there's a place that he's always there, that there's a place that he's just going to remind us that he, we're loved and forgiven by an amazing God, but we sometimes forget about the others. So here's the teaching. You see, God goes further than just giving us a place to call home. He says, if you're my followers, then I have an assignment for you. I have a purpose. I have a plan for your life. And that plan, or at least part of that plan, involves this. That once you have found your home in Christ, you need to point the way for others who are still seeking it. Once you've found your home in Christ, God says, I need you to go out and point the ways for others to get there. Other people who are wandering out there lost, who are still seeking that home. If you got the imagery of home, you know you have something special that the rest of the world doesn't have. And not just that experience with him at the altar, and not just that experience with knowing he walks with you as you go through life, but that promise of heaven. But the reality is there's a lot of people in our world today that are pretty far away from God right now. And it's sad. But it's been true for thousands of years. It just seems maybe all the more true today as we look around. But Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31, 22 heard from God, and God said, how long will you wander before you come home, talking to the nation of Israel. There are people in our neighborhoods, and in our offices, in our work sites, in our schools, even in our families, who are wandering aimlessly through life without hope, without direction, without purpose, without meaning, without God, without his forgiveness, without his grace, without the security of knowing that they have, or at least can have, a home in heaven. That's a very different picture than the picture I gave you of home. And the world's missing it. And the world needs it. And so God says, I have a plan for you to fulfill. And it's this. I want you to start pointing people toward their home in Christ. I'll even go so far as to say that nothing is more important than that. Why? 
Because eternity is very literally hanging in the balance. In Bible study, I often use this depiction. If you have people in your life that you love, right, and you know they don't know Jesus, but you don't ever say anything, it's like you're watching the Titanic go by, all the people on that Titanic, right? And you're just waving at them, smiling, saying, have a great trip. And all the while, you know that they're going to their destruction, You don't want to cause an awkwardness. You don't want to cause any weirdness. You just sit there and you wave. God says, I got a purpose for you. And not only will the result be that a whole bunch of people who today are wandering, lost, and aimless will find their home, they will find heaven through Jesus Christ, but it will also revolutionize your relationship with God as well. It will stoke the fires of your spiritual life more than anything you can imagine. There's nothing that does that more than intentionally setting forth every single day with a plan that if God opens up an opportunity, I'm going to show him heaven. I'm going to show him Jesus. And when you're living with that kind of edge, that's when your prayer life is the most fervent. Why? Because you're asking God to give you words to say, to lead you, and to guide you. You say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And so your prayer life is based on an urgency that maybe you didn't have before. Your worship is heartfelt because you're worshiping a God of the second chance. You're counting on it. And even though you have lost people, spiritually lost and confused and wandering people whom you love, you know that God loves them more. And he wants to bring them to heaven. So your worship takes on a new dimension. And and your study of the scripture takes on a new experience as well, a whole new excitement because you're not just looking for abstract theological truths. You're looking for answers that might help a friend in their spiritual journey toward home. So when your dependence on God is at its greatest, because you know that apart from the power of God, you can't do anything anyway. You can't argue anyone to the kingdom of God. You, you, can't, you can't force anyone into the kingdom of God. But that God can use you if we're dependent upon him. And so you listen to this, and that's the teaching part, that God has a purpose for our life, and it's to share home with everybody that we know. And you start listening to that, and you're thinking, oh, the implications of that are kind of big. And so you start saying, isn't that for Billy Graham to do? I know he's getting pretty old, but can't he just do another crusade? Or, or isn't that for the church staff? Isn't why we, that why we paid them the big bucks? It can't possibly be for me, just a regular everyday Christian, right? It can't be my job, and yet the scriptures say something quite different. God says that it is part of his plan, every single person that follows him. He doesn't want you to miss the excitement or the adventure, the exhilaration or the thrill or the satisfaction of the feeling that God has used your life in an eternal way in somebody else's life. He says, I don't want you to miss that. So I'm gonna share with you a story that I think builds on this a little bit. And as I go through it, I want you to think about this character, Bill, and what he did. It's a true story. I want you to think about where you might have stopped along the way. And I want you to think it in context of this. God calls us to love people more. I think we struggle at loving people more. And so listen to it in that context. So I want to share with you a story about a guy named Bill. In a lot of ways, Bill was your average guy. He was ordinary. He was an everyday guy. He worked as a financial consultant. He wasn't rich, but he wasn't poor. He lived in the suburbs, a ranch house with a picket fence around it. He was married, had a family. In many ways, he was just your average guy. He was a Christian. He didn't have theological degrees. He didn't have any letters after his name. But he'd always been so grateful to God for taking him off the path of self-destruction that he had been on for so many years. He'd always been so grateful to God for turning his life around. And so he always had this great gratitude for God for that. 
Bill died, and a pastor I knew went to Bill's funeral, and he said as he was sitting there, he was struck by a number of things. First of all, he walked into the place, and the place was just literally packed with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, he said, which he was amazed by. It was the middle of the day and the middle of the week, which that never happens, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to pay their respects and celebrate Bill's life. Then he said they did something else that was rather unusual, at least for me, he said. He's, they put microphones up and down the aisles. And then the pastor who was doing this service got up and he said, this is what we're going to do today to celebrate Bill's life. If you're going to be in heaven someday because God used Bill to bring you the message of hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ, if he used Bill to point you toward that home, you can have, the home that you can have in heaven, come up to one of the microphones and tell us your story. Then the pastor said he was blown away by what he saw as literally hundreds of people went up and streamed up to those microphones and got in line. <laughs> this is going to be a long service, he thought. But he was wrong. Well, he was right. It was a long service. But he was wrong in the sense that he was blown away by the stories that they shared about his friend Bill. One of the people that stood up that day shared this story. He started by describing how Bill had gone into the city, into Chicago one day, to do some business. A panhandler came up to him, a homeless person named Robert, and Robert said to him, hey, do you have some money for some food? I think Robert was blown away by Bill's response because Bill was thinking something more. He was thinking, I'd like to fill this guy's stomach, but more than that, I'd like to see his soul get filled as well. So Bill said, how about if I buy you some lunch? So Bill takes him to a restaurant. They sit down with a homeless guy, and he gets to know him. And they build a little friendship. By the time the meal was over, Bill said, hey, the 4th of July is coming up in a day or so. Why don't you come out to my house in the suburbs and celebrate the 4th of July with my family and me? You can stay a few days and we'll have a great time. He then gave him some train fare and said, hey, I'll pick you up in the 3.30 train on the 4th of July. 4th of July comes. Bill goes down to the train station to pick up Robert. Train comes. The train goes. Robert doesn't get off. I thought it was interesting, Bill's response at that point. Did he throw up his arms saying, I tried, God, it just didn't work out? No. Bill then got into his car and drove down into the city and began going from bar to bar to bar in the area where Robert would likely be hanging out, looking again for this guy, Robert. He couldn't find him. But he didn't give up. He kept searching and seeking him out, kept going after him, until finally he finds Robert on a park bench in his own excrement. Bill picks him up, cleans him up, and puts him in his car and drives him out to his home. He fed him a meal and celebrated the 4th of July together. And in the next few days, they talked, and Bill told him about the fact that, Robert, you're made in the image of God Almighty, and he loves you. He cares for you, and he wants to take you home to heaven to be with him someday. Robert said, I love that. And he prayed, and he'd open up his life to receive Jesus Christ as his forgiver and leader and you think this whole thing was divinely orchestrated because just a few days later, after that, Robert, the homeless guy, dies. And the guy he was sharing started to choke up and said, Robert is at home in heaven. He's at home in heaven because a guy named Bill was faithful to Jesus Christ. A guy who said, I'm not going to see a homeless person, but I'm going to see someone who is made in the image of God, who I can bring a message of hope and eternal life to. You know, as the guy was sharing this story, Bill going from bar to bar to bar looking for Robert, searching for him, searching for him, and just keep searching for him. It, it's kind of like Jesus, I was thinking, because that's what he does for us. 
You want to know, Jesus would say to us, what his mission is, why, the purpose of which he came into the world, why he was born on Christmas, came into the world, lived a perfect life, died, and then rose again on Easter? He tells us it was to seek and save the lost. And again, as I pictured going, Bill going from bar to bar looking for Robert that night, I, I thought of Jesus because he was looking also to save. And so here's what I want you to get this morning. As you, as you listen to this story, I want you first at least a little bit blown away by the love that Bill showed toward this complete stranger. A stranger that wasn't just kind of well-dressed and well-groomed, but, but who was a mess in every respect. Even in his behavior, probably didn't deserve anything from Bill. And yet Bill just loved him over and over and over. It, as I listened to the story, too, I, I kept thinking, you know, I say I love people, I care about people, invest in people, but to be honest, I, there aren't too many people in my life today that I love the way that Bill loved Robert. You've been sharing at a Bible study, and one of the guys said, I don't want to even do that for my son. He doesn't show up on the train. He's not coming to dinner, you know. I think we struggle to love people. I think that's a hard thing for us, especially those that aren't in our immediate family. And even then, as that one guy said, would we go through the lengths that Bill did? There's so many points along the story that I would have stopped. Stopped before I invited him to lunch. Stopped before I gave him train fare to come to my house with my family to spend the weekend. Stopped before I went into the city and searched him out. Stop before after finding him drunk and passed out on a park bench before I took him home. But Bill didn't. And I tell you, I'm overwhelmingly convicted by that. Because the reality is this really is a picture of Jesus. And Jesus is calling us here this morning to love people more. And the more I love others, the more others are going to start seeing Jesus' love in me. And the more I begin to love others, the more opportunity I'm going to have to share with them Jesus and forgiveness in heaven. In every way, the story could be a modern-day parable of Jesus. Because that's the way Jesus loves us. Jesus pursues us with his love. He pursues us with his care. It's why he sent Jesus on Christmas in the first place. He pursues us so that he can wash us off through his forgiveness, strengthen our trust through his word, and then refine us with a, again with our purpose, which we forget that the reason that we're here breathing and taking up space is so that we can get to know Jesus and that once knowing him, that we could share him with everybody else that we know. So here's my question as we close. Who is it that we need to love more in our lives today? Who is it that we need to love more so that we'd be willing to risk sharing with them the way to Jesus and to forgiveness and to heaven? This is the season of miracles. At least that's what they tell us. And so my prayer is, if you're willing, that God would bless you with just this kind of miracle this Christmas. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. And sharing you with others is sometimes hard in this world of ours. The world's gotten weird and it's gotten antagonistic against you and it's certainly not PC anymore to share Jesus with our friends or neighbors, certainly not at work. But Father, all too often we feel like we're just waving at people on the Titanic. 
We may excuse our behavior in different ways. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we just don't want to complicate relationships or things. But Father, I pray today that you would increase our love toward the people that you put in our lives. That you'd help us love them enough to share. To share with them home. To share with them forgiveness. To share with them Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.